I am back. Where have I been and what happened? I'll tell you. Three men have been exonerated in a false confessions case. Donald Trump surrenders in Atlanta. Letitia Stalk moves out of Colorado, most likely for her safety. Alex Murdoch is set to plead guilty in his federal case. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't. Like if you do. Leave me a comment. And remember to hit that little bell so that you receive notifications of when we go live or put up new content. And remember, you can listen to us on any of your favorite podcasting apps. All right. Let's go ahead and get to it. August 25th, 2023. First on the docket, where have you been, Scott? What happened? Well... I have been in trial for the last week. I know a lot of people think, no, Scott, you're some uh, big, high-flying uh, YouTube celebrity. You don't have to work. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm anything but uh, a, a YouTube celebrity. I assure you of that. And yes, I still have a day job. And the day job has to take priority overdoing the Crime Talk uh, show. So what was I doing? Yes, I was doing another homicide case. I think this is my third one this year. Well, this one turned out wonderful. Not guilty to all counts. It was a simple case. Simple case about self-defense, ladies and gentlemen. It's an affirmative defense. That's where you say, yes, we did it, but we were justified under the law. And thank goodness the jury in about an hour and 15 minutes agreed with our analysis of the case. Now, what is upsetting about this? Well, in my humble opinion, that case never should have been filed because members of the community realized that it was self-defense that quickly. Why didn't the district attorney do so? I personally met with the district attorney, told them, please dismiss this case. This is an injustice. And they didn't. Probably because it was, you know, I don't know, the first murder in that particular county in three years. And instead of being able to make a tough call, even when there's going to be some public outcry, that's what district attorneys are supposed to do. Follow justice. Not say we're going to put somebody's liberty at stake because I can't make that call and we'll just let the jury decide. That is wrong. So needless to say, I'm a little upset. Happy that we won. It's unfortunate, though, that the client had to spend a lot of money, a lot of time worrying over the last year about whether his liberty was going to be taken away from him, his freedom, and at least the next 48 years of his life taken away. Yeah, because somebody wouldn't make a decision. Thank goodness 12 women and men on that jury, well, they were able to do what the district attorney's office couldn't do. So yeah, I'm a little upset, but at least it turned out well. All right, let's get to the docket here first. All right, three men exonerated in New York 30 years after falsely confessing. Now, the prosecutor's say that the uh, men had been wrongfully convicted in two separate cases, one of which involved a detective linked to the false confessions of the Central Park Five, you know, where the police were able to convince the juveniles that they did bad things to the female jogger in the park. Oh, turned out it was completely false. Yeah, that was in the uh, fall of 1992. Now, Earl Walters was 17 at that time, and he was brought to a police station and questioned as a witness in a carjacking and a murder. Mr. Walters was then interrogated for 16 hours without a lawyer being present about 
and about something else, the robberies, abductions, and assaults of two other women. Eventually, he confessed to being a reluctant participant in those crimes. And then two years later, two other young men sat in interrogation rooms in Queens. The men, Armand McLeod and Reginald Cameron, had been arrested in a fatal shooting of Ki Sunada, a 22-year-old Japanese immigrant. And that apparently took place in a stairwell in an apartment building. Now, after being questioned through the night, Mr. McLeod, then 20, and Mr. Cameron, then 19, allegedly confessed. All three would later recant their confessions, saying investigators had coerced them into taking responsibility for their crimes. Now, Mr. Walters was convicted and served 20 years in prison before he was paroled in 2013. Mr. McLeod served 29 years before his release in January. And Mr. Cameron pled guilty to a lesser charge and served about nine years before his parole in 2003. And then, Yesterday, nearly three decades later, a large courtroom in the state Supreme Court in Queens was filled with supporters of the three men as each took his turn before the judge. Now, the judge, a woman by the name of Michelle Johnston, who threw out the convictions, um, said back in 1994, people did not believe that there was such a thing as false confessions. Now, the one of the attorneys for the men said that the uh, wrongful conviction unit and the Legal Aid Society for which Mr. Cameron's lawyers was, was helping him agreed and said, but unfortunately, we're learning it was all too common in today's world. Now, earlier, prosecutors in Queens and the men's lawyers had filed joint motions asking the court to vacate their convictions, saying the men's confessions were coerced and riddled with complete inconsistencies, including inaccuracies based on an interrogator's misunderstanding of the case. A detective who investigated two of the men, Carlos Gonzalez, was also connected in the wrongful convictions in the Central Park Five case and the notorious murder in the Manhattan subway station in the early 1990s. Now, Mr. McLeod's case was the first one that the court addressed. As the prosecutor um, spoke, Mr. McLeod, dressed in a gray suit and glasses with his dreadlocks in a high bun, sat with his elbow on the table watching a monitor in front of him quite intently. When he stood to speak, Mr. McLeod became quite emotional. And he said, 10,607 days. That is 29 years and 15 days. Exactly, Mr. McLeod said. I'll be the first to tell you that those 29 years were not kind to me. Sitting several rows behind him was Mr. Cameron began to cry. When it was his turn to speak, Mr. Cameron, who had pled guilty to first-degree robbery to in Mr. Sunadi's death in exchange for the dismissal of the murder charges, told the court how the conviction irrevocably changed his life. Now, although he's happy that his name has been cleared, it doesn't fix things. It doesn't fix the scar on my face. The scar, apparently, he got about four inches long, and it goes across his right cheek. He got that in prison. He suffers from depression because of everything that he's gone, to gone through. And, uh, and since 1989, there have been 400 of 3,361 total exonerations uh, nationwide have involved false confessions. And let's call false confessions what they are, ladies and gentlemen. It was coercion. It was basically torturing somebody, not giving them food, not giving them water, not giving them an attorney until they said, fine, I'll tell you whatever you want to hear. Just get me out of here. That's what it is. And I know people, oh, that can't happen. The police don't do that. Yes, 
they do. Not so much anymore. Why? Because it's all recorded. Now it is. 25, 30 years ago, not being recorded. And those agencies that didn't record interviews or don't record interviews, for example, like the FBI doesn't record interviews. They're going to start, I think, next year. They still don't. Most law enforcement agencies do. Some law enforcement agencies are fighting body cam videos. And in most part, it helps the police say nothing's gone wrong. But why do they refuse? Because there's those one, there's those certain cases where they want to put the screws on somebody. Now, in recent years, the prosecutors say, hey, give us a little bit of credit here that we've sought the dismissal of hundreds of convictions tied to these bad police officers who themselves have been convicted of crimes related to their work. Now, since the Queens District Attorney's Office launched a conviction integrity unit back in 2020, 102 convictions, including the three on Thursday, have been vacated. 86 of those convictions were tied to police misconduct. Now, the case before Justice Johnston, the one who heard the matter with all these men, um, both involved coerced confessions, prosecutors said. Now, Justice Johnson said the facts of Mr. Walter's case were particularly troubling. Why? Because the judge said, as I sit here, I'm really honestly baffled, she said. The detectives, prosecutors, and let's face it, judges as well, ignored glaring red flags in the investigations. And she said that she apologized to Mr. Walters for that. Now, the 1994 District Attorney's Office failed to honor its obligation to honor its search for the truth, no matter where it leads, adding that the carelessness and indifference shown in this case shocks the conscience. Now, in the killing of Mr. Mr. Sunata in 1994, Mr. McLeod and Mr. Cameron were brought in after a 16-year-old being questioned in an unrelated robbery told the police that he had heard that someone who fit Mr. McLeod's description had committed the murder. After more than eight hours of interrogation, they confessed, but their statements contained glaring inaccuracies about the circumstances of the shooting. According to the prosecutors, they said that Mr. Sunata had been shot in a hallway when in fact he was in a stairwell. Mr. Cameron indicated that there had been two gunshots when evidence showed there was only one. Their descriptions uh, echoed reports written by Mr. Gonzalez, a detective in the Sunata case, and the same errors also appeared in the initial police paperwork, according to prosecutors, which was evidence that these facts were supplied by Detective Gonzalez. The crime scene that the confession described is an impossibility, one of the attorneys for Mr. McLeod noted. And they said that, and now that we know why the confession was in fact so wrong, it was scripted by a team of officers. Now, both men later recanted, Mr. McLeod said in, a tw in 2021, that he had confessed because he was thirsty and exhausted and convinced his innocence would become clear in court. Hmm, it didn't. We've talked about this before, ladies and gentlemen, and I get it. Hey, you're a public servant. Good on you. I get that. Heck, I've been there, and you have to do the right thing. But when people... <laughs> in positions of authority. For example, if you got a bad cop, and the reason why bad cops stick around is because district attorneys don't call out the bad cops and they say, oh, well, he's just a good cop. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. And then he thinks he can get away with it with being a bad cop, so he does it again. And then you go to court and the defense attorney files motions to say, this is ridiculous. They tortured my client, whatever. 
and the judges go along with it. Well, I'm going to give some deference to the police officer because they're police officers, and well, your client's scum, and so that's you know that's where we are right now. So they give them great deference, and so I get it, I get it, but not everybody that puts a badge on is a good person, and I don't mean to disparage law enforcement. I like most people in law enforcement, but it's the bad ones. And the cops, the good cops, they got to police the bad ones. All right? We'll leave that at that, ladies and gentlemen. Brian Koberger wants his indictment dismissed, and he's claiming there's prosecutorial misconduct, the withholding of exculpatory evidence. And well, and if that doesn't turn out, hey, you know, no big rush uh, to get to trial after all. So Mr. Koberger's attorneys have filed a motion to dismiss. And it reads, basically, comes now Brian Koberger, Brian through his attorney, and hereby moves the court for an order to file the memorandum in support of the indictment uh, to dismiss on grounds of biased grand jury, inadmissible evidence, lack of sufficient evidence, and prosecutorial misconduct and withholding of exculpatory evidence. And they move pursuant to the uh, criminal rules of uh, procedure there, 32IL. The motion also states that uh, Mr. Koberger, through his attorney, files a motion to dismiss on the grounds that the grand jury was biased, inadmissible evidence, lack of sufficient evidence, and prosecutorial misconduct. I know it's like the same thing, right? They repeat the motion to file the motion. And they say that this motion is based upon the state's various violation during the grand jury pursuant to the Idaho Code, as well as uh, Rule 6.7 and 48 of the uh, uh, rules of criminal procedure, and then they specifically cite, get this, this makes no sense to me, rules 401, which is relevance, 402, basically relevance, 403, which is, although relevant, the prejudicial effect rules out, and then you have four, rule 403 that is says, yes, the evidence is relevant, but its prejudicial effect outweighs any probative value. Then you got 404, which is basically uh, character evidence, 404B uh, character evidence, 601, 602, 608. That all has to do with basically character impeachment of uh, specific facts. Rule 701, 702, 703, and 708 all have to do with expert witnesses. 801C, 802, 8032, 804, 3, 901, and 902, which are exceptions to the hearsay rule, which are basically business records. And then they allege prosecutorial misconduct. Now, this is really interesting, ladies and gentlemen. We don't know what's in it, but hopefully after my little dialogue this morning, monologue that we did at the beginning of this video, is um, hopefully what we bring to this show that a lot of people don't do is that, yeah, that's right, I actually practice law. And they cite all these rules of evidence, but guess what? The rules of evidence don't apply in the grand jury. So this is about as frivolous a motion as I think you can possibly fly, <laughs> that you can possibly file. I don't think it's going to fly in a court of law. Now, we will have to wait and see whether the court gives it any weight whatsoever. And of course, yet again, it's filed under seal. Why? Because, ladies and gentlemen, you all, people in the public, are just too stupid. You wouldn't understand these sophisticated ways uh, of the legal system. So we're going to protect you from all this really highbrow stuff. Or they want to make these legal arguments raise issues and they don't want people to criticize them if it's in the public domain. I think that's what it is.
I don't think it's going to go. So like I said, of course, the court ultimately says we are going to uh, put this under seal so we can't get access to it. Of course they do. But then Brian Koberger waived his right to speedy trial. Now, let's take, we talk about waiver of speedy trial all the time. And remember, in Idaho, they have six months from the day of saying not guilty. Koberger wanted to get to trial. We had a trial date in October 2nd that was going to be set. They were ready to go, ready, ready, ready. I get it. I've done that myself. We're ready to go, we're ready to go, we're ready to go. And then you get there and they're like, oh, you're not ready. So, you, you know, it's kind of a tactic thing. Push, push, push. See if the prosecution's ready. Let's face it. The prosecution's not ready in the Koberger matter. Neither is the defense. There's just too much stuff, not enough time. But I thought it'd be interesting to let's take a look at the waiver of speedy trial. All right. And it simply says, this is a court-ordered form that they have there in Idaho. It says, defendant acknowledges that the defendant has the right to have his case brought to trial within six months of the defendant's arraignment in district court on an indictment or within six months of the filing of an information. Further, the defendant acknowledges consulting with defendant's attorney regarding the right to a speedy trial pursuant to the Sixth Amendment of the United States Constitution, Article Section 13 of the Idaho Constitution, and Idaho Code Section 19-3501. And based upon careful consideration and consultation with the attorney, the defendant waives the defendant's right to speedy trial. The defendant then fully understands that the advantages and disadvantages of waiving the right to speedy trial and believes that it would be in the defendant's best interest to give up this right. The defendant further understands that once the right to the speedy trial is waived, the court may set this case for trial more than six months from the time in which the defendant was arraigned in the district court or from the filing of the information. So yes, the advantage of the speedy trial, because remember, Sixth Amendment, first 10 amendments, the Bill of Rights, remember the ones that the states wouldn't sign unless it was there putting limitations on the government because the founding fathers knew that when you get in power, you become tyrants. That's just the way it is. Nobody wants to give up that power and they want more control. And the king used to throw people in jail and said, well, maybe we'll get around to giving you a trial someday. So the Sixth Amendment to the Constitution is you have a right to a speedy trial, pretty important stuff. And particularly if you're in custody, you have a right to get out as quickly as possible, have your trial to vindicate your name if you are in fact not guilty. So there's advantage to that. Prosecution brings the charges, they got to back it up. But the defendant may say, hey, you've had all this time. They had at least six months, uh, I think, from the time of the murders till the time Brian Koberg, maybe less, four months until he was indicted. They had all that time to play catch up. The defense has to go through it, analyze it, find experts if they need any, and go to trial. They need more time. Well, what's the advantage? Well, you need more time to be better prepared. So you have your right under the Sixth Amendment as well to effective assistance of counsel. But you're going to have to remain in custody. So you have to weigh those two things. Do I want my trial right away and my attorney won't be prepared? Or do I go to trial thinking maybe the prosecution isn't prepared and therefore let's get the case going? I thought that was worth noting. We talk about speedy trial quite a bit, particularly on these Idaho cases. But when you do that, they're going to set it out more than six months. Next on the docket, Donald Trump has made history as becoming the first former president to pose for a mugshot following his arrest for trying to overturn the 2020 election results in Georgia. And apparently he's already making money on it, selling mugshots on T-shirts, selling it on mugs, you name it. 
Now, the uh, former president was arrested now for the fourth time, and this time he was actually fingerprinted by the authorities there at the Fulton County Jail in Atlanta. And then he shared his mugshot on X, which is, I guess, formerly known as Twitter. Now, he didn't have his booking photo taken during the previous arrests in New York, Miami, and Washington, D.C. And the former president traveled to Georgia on Thursday afternoon from his Bedminster home in New Jersey. By 7.55 p.m., he was back in his motorcade, jumping on his private 767. Now, the uh, former president declared on the tarmac that this was a very sad day for America. He said it was a travesty of justice and added, we did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. This is election interference. So I want to thank you for being here. We did nothing wrong, the former president said. And we had every right, every single right to challenge an election we think was, in fact, dishonest. He then boarded his plane and flew off. Now, ahead of his surrender, Trump criticized the district attorney, uh, this Fannie Willis, calling her a radical left lowlife district attorney. His surrender came hours after Willis had requested a trial date be set. Uh, the district attorney requested that Trump trial should begin on October 23rd, which would be nearly impossible. I think there are some 11 million pages of discovery from what I've heard. There's no way that that case is going to go in October. Now, for those who don't recall, the president was charged with RICO, racketeering influence and corrupt organization. That's right. That's what's usually frequently used to try mafia bosses, cartel leaders, gang leaders, union bosses. Uh, but yeah, I've seen it come down as petty as check theft cashing rings, uh, burglary things. Here's what you need for a racket racketeering charge under just about any state RICO charge. Let's say I go break into three homes and I commit a burglary and I bring a buddy along. Well, I have three burglaries and maybe a conspiracy to commit burglary um, for all those three homes. But if you get an overzealous district attorney, and I've seen it, where they say, oh, that was just wasn't two guys breaking into three different homes, that was racketeering. And now you're facing, you know, a minimum of 48 years in prison versus, um, you know, looking at two to six years on something along that lines. That's what they do. They do it oftentimes to scare people into uh, going to trial. Now, I can't imagine any of these 19 co-defendants, and you know, what do we say? The threat of imminent incarceration tends to break the bonds of loyalty. Somebody may roll. They'll say, oh, I'll take a misdemeanor. I'll do this. I'll do that. Whatever. I just don't think that that's going to be the case here. These individuals truly believed that the election was a fraud. And what they're going to have to show is that they believed that the election was totally legitimate. And they then went out and lied to everybody about it. Everything that I've seen and read, most of the conspirators, the 19 people of them, absolutely demand, absolutely demand and still believe to this day that the election was fraudulent. We'll have to wait and see. I think the district attorney has bitten off more than she can chew. And then we also see that Congress has now begun an investigation on the district attorney and saying, hey, by the way, while you're at it, preparing those uh, for trial, reviewing those 11 million pages of documents, we're going to keep you busy as well. 
why don't you send me all the communications that you've had with all the other district attorneys handling this case and, oh, anybody else in the Democrat Party? Suddenly the hunter becomes the hunted. Well, needless to say, if all of the uh, 19 co-conspirators in the Trump case um, are convicted, they face up to 71 years in prison. And unlike, obviously, the uh, federal system, only the governor can pardon uh, somebody in Georgia. The president could not have any effect on a pardon in the state of Georgia. Now, there is a lot of this case, and I know a lot of people think, oh my God, Scott, you're pro-Trump, oh, you're anti-Trump. I hear it all the time. No, we're just trying to analyze it, okay? That's it. Don't really care how things come out. Frankly, I'm an equal opportunity hater for both parties, okay? But let's take it. There's a lot of people. Let's take it is for what it is. There's a lot of people out there that think that elections um, have been illegitimate. I mean, the first one that pops to mind is, um, well, just about every election. The other side always thinks there's some wrongdoing. But let's take, for example, Hillary Clinton. Remember, she claimed that uh, the uh, election where Trump was elected in 2016 was completely illegitimate because of Russian collusion and interference. And then it turns out, and not really undisputed at this point, but after years of investigation, it was turned out that she, her campaign, was the one that did the Russian dossier. She was never charged. Well, because that's politics. Politics is a blood sport. It's ruthless. It's nasty. It's mean. But I also get that politicians should not be able to lie. But guess what? The courts have held that politicians can lie to you. It's their free speech right to lie to us. And you know what the remedy is? You can't go sue a politician for making false statements. It's their freedom of speech. The remedy is you vote them out of office. But that doesn't happen, right? How many times is there a member of Congress or a senator, whether it's state or federal office, that you know they're a bunch of lying scumbags on the take criminals and they keep getting reelected? Because the psychology of it is, is people don't get rid of somebody that they voted for because then they have to admit that they made a mistake. And people don't like to admit they made a mistake. So that dirty, rotten, Ryan scumbag, he may be that, but he's our dirty, lying, rotten scumbag. And they can vote for him over and over again because they don't want to admit that they were wrong. You know the group that I think we really need to go after, ladies and gentlemen, because I think this is a good example here, is that's right. You know what it is? Those damn flat earthers spreading lies that the earth is flat. How about the we never landed on the moon guys? Well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? We live in a country where we have free speech, which means that stupid and ridiculous speech about stuff that maybe most people don't believe is and should be advanced and offered to us to consume. We will find out what the truth is, not the, through that truth-seeking debate that we get. No, no, it's going to be through our own intelligence. Fortunately, I think most people have figured out that the Earth is not flat, and yes, we in fact did land on the moon, but those people still get to say it, no matter how annoying it is. And you find that out by having their ideas exposed. Who knows? Maybe they're right at some point. Maybe we're all just being lied to and we're not this big ball floating around. We're actually flat. And maybe we didn't go to the moon. Who knows? Wouldn't it be crazy if all those people were correct that we didn't go? But I don't think it is. 
but by censoring people, ladies and gentlemen. That's not how you find out the truth. It's for ideas being challenged. And when you don't allow people to challenge ideas, no matter how stupid they are, well, that's kind of what dictators and kings do. They stamp out the silence of anyone who would dare criticize them. And then you got the worthy subjects, I guess, that say, how dare you criticize my king, my dictator? And they go along with it. They're no better than the little, than, than the king or the dictator themselves, because they won't question it. The dictator is always looking for the willing accomplice, ladies and gentlemen. Maybe I'm just fired up. Maybe I'm just fired up because this trial that I did last week, because I kept saying, am I missing something here? Am I can't, not doing it? And they're being, basically telling me, well, we'll just let the jury decide. Even though people have certain obligation to do that, dismiss the case ethically, but what do they do? They just go along as willing accomplices in this. And they're playing with house money. They don't care if my client wins or loses, really. They're just trying to appease their political party. But I have to worry about my client losing his freedom. And they just go along with it. And that's just as bad as everybody uh, that wants to suppress everybody's ideas. All right? So in private companies, right, we have these dictators. They're willing to want their willingness to uh, willing accomplices. The people in the government that go along with it say, hey, this is how we can come up with the plan. This is how we'll, we'll take care of something. They're just as bad as the people at top devising the plan. And what's even worse when private companies do the work for the government at their direction, like censor people. And when the companies are doing what the government can't do, but they go around it, yes, that's one, not illegal here. You know, all the censorship that took place with those various companies Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more, say no more, Twitter, mm, YouTube. That's right. Well, that's kind of the definition of fascism, right? When the government works so closely with private industry. Yes, that's it. And it always makes you remember, doesn't it, ladies and gentlemen, the first couple of lines of the lyric from Jefferson's Airplanes uh, song of Want Somebody to Love? When the truth is found to be lies, and all the joy within you dies. Yes, when the truth turns out to be lies. People have put so much faith in a particular person or a particular movement or idea. And if you look at them, everyone in politics lies. Stop believing them on both sides. There's our free speech rant for the week. Just a little fired up after trial, ladies and gentlemen. All right, next. Letitia Stauk, remember her? That's right. Convicted child killer. She's been transferred to a prison in Kansas following her conviction for the death of her 11-year-old stepson, Gannon Stauk. Now, the Colorado Department of Corrections confirmed that she was transferred from the Denver Women's Correctional Facility, which is um, just here in Denver, Colorado, probably three miles from my house. Well, now she's going to go to Kansas, specifically Topeka. No one is saying for sure why she went there, but more than likely it was for her own safety. We've mentioned this before. On the ladder of hierarchy in prison, yes, you are a person of great stature if you're there for, say, a homicide case, but not if it's a homicide for killing a child, particularly your stepchild. You are on the bottom of that rung, and life is going to be very difficult for you. Yes, you could be assaulted, 
uh, you're not going to be able to come out. People are going to spit in your food. It's going to be a long, long life in prison for Letitia Stauk. And once people find out when she gets to Topeka what she's in there for, it's not going to get any easier. And if they want to confirm as to why she was here, they just have to Google her. Someone on the outside will Google her, find out what she's in there for, or ask to send her paper. That's right, her minimus, show them what she's in there for. May your life be as miserable and uncomfortable as you made Gannon Stouk's last moments painful and uncomfortable. Next, Alec Murdoch. The attorneys for Alec Murdoch, you know, the guy has been convicted of killing his wife and kid. Yeah, well, he's requested to have his federal case set for a change of plea hearing. Obviously, in federal court, when you show up to the arraignment, everybody enters a plea of not guilty. And then it's set for a change of plea. Now, the scheduling is now set for September 21st. They're in Charleston, South Carolina, one of the most beautiful courthouses I have ever had the pleasure of appearing in. If you're ever in Charleston, go to the courthouse, the Federal District Courthouse, ladies and gentlemen. It is beautiful. It's amazing. Unlike anything you've seen, they have paintings that go back hundreds of years on the walls. It's the most gorgeous courthouse I've ever been in. All right. I digress. Remember, Alec Murdoch was indicted on 22 counts back in May in federal court. The charges included wire fraud, bank fraud, conspiracy to commit fraud, and money laundering. And obviously, Murdoch was convicted in March uh, for the June 2021 murders of his wife and son, uh, Maggie and Paul. And he's obviously sentenced to two consecutive life sentences. Now, other than in court, where Mr. Alec Murdoch was testifying in this murder case saying, yeah, I stole the money, I stole the money, I stole the money. This is really the first time he's actually going to admit guilt in a court of law where he's going to have consequences for that. Now, it'll be interesting to see what arrangements they have made for a plea bargain. Will his state theft charges be dismissed? Really what it comes down to is money, restitution. And if Alec Murdoch is lucky he will be allowed to serve his sentence in a Federal Bureau of Prisons facility versus a prison in South Carolina. They're a little more comfortable, ladies and gentlemen, but who knows? We'll have to wait and see once we see the plea agreement. And finally today, our dumb criminal of the day. So this woman in Florida apparently went out drinking and um, served up a nightcap that she was going to uh, hang out with for the rest of the evening, spiked it with Raid Bug Killer to her boyfriend. Now, that is the father of one of her children, according to police. Now, according to the arrest affidavit, Veronica Klein contacted the victim early in the morning hours to say she was coming home from drinking at the bar and wanted him to serve her an alcoholic beverage so they could sit around and drink a little bit together. Well, Klein and the 24-year-old victim are parents of one of a one-year-old child. Klein has at least one other older child from a different man. After Klein arrived at the residence, the victim told police he consumed about two drinks. Then he began to feel sick all of a sudden. And after falling ill, the man recalled that uh, Klein admitted adding Raid Roach Spray to his last two beverages. Now, the victim uh, told the police that he threw up for about 30 minutes before he was able to dial 911 for assistance, and the man became extremely ill 
and could not speak without vomiting when questioned by deputies. He was transported to the uh, local hospital for treatment of the rapid raid poisoning. Needless to say, the uh, victim gave police an audio recording of Klein reportedly admitting to spiking his drink with the raid. Bug killer. Investigators also located a 17.5-ounce can of Raid Ant and Roach Spray, which promises to kill on contact with no lingering odor and boasts of an outdoor fresh scent. Well, at least the room was going to smell nice. Anyway, the police determined Veronica did, in fact, intentionally introduce a chemical compound into the victim's drink with the intent to kill and injure him. And she's charged with poisoning. Poisoning. No, ladies and gentlemen, that is attempted murder by poisoning. That's what she should be charged with. Ms. Klein, you are a dumb criminal of the day. Bug killer? Really? That's just dumb. All right. Thanks for joining us today, ladies and gentlemen. I'm back. Don't have another trial for at least another three weeks. So I got that going for you. So, yes, you are stuck with me. I'll be back again on Monday. Enjoy your weekend. We'll see you next time on Crime Talk. Crime Talk.